for those of you who don't know who I am, I'm Tony. I'm the pastor and stuff. But, um, man, they do better at welcome than me. <laughs> that was awesome. That was really good. That was not GOP, though. I just wanted you to know we, we are non-political. We are not going to do that. So <laughs> we're good. Just in case that was recorded somewhere, I just want to make sure that <laughs> it's very, very, <coughs> very, very clear now and everything. But, hey, I'm excited that you're here this morning. I, I hope that. Um, you're excited that you're here. Um, visitors, I just want you to know that we expected you. Um, we, we pray every week and we expect visitors and we expect people to come and, and be a part of it. And we just um, really want you to experience th- this is an awesome church. Um, we've been around three years. And out of 30 years of ministry, I've never been in a place that is more loving, more welcoming, and more hugging. I mean, they're huggers here. I just I apologize now if you're not a hugger. I've had to get over it. But um, they're huggers. So we're just glad you're here. Um, we have been on a journey, and I have no idea how long it's going to take us to get through it all. But we are going to keep pushing on through. Hi, girls. There we go. Um, but I have no idea. But we've been going through Acts. Because I'm a firm believer in what God has done in the past, he can do again. What God has done for someone else, he can do for us. And and that God hasn't changed. The the same God, the same power, the same ability that the church had back in Acts is the same thing that's available today. I don't think God's changed. I think we've changed. And and we have kind of gotten away from that. And so it's been my heart for us just to continue to drive through this whole, the book of Acts, and just see this is how God set it up in the first place. And so I want to do things God's way. Because I'm a firm believer, too, that if we do it our way, it's not going to work. Our way always leads to trials. Our, our, way, our way always leads to burden. Our, our way always leads to imprisonment, to bondage. God's way always leads to freedom, to power, to what was always supposed to be. And, and so that's why we've been in here. And so last week we kind of, um, we were back in Acts 17, and we were talking a little bit and stuff, and I'm skipping ahead a little bit. Um, this morning, I was at a conference this week, and I just want to thank the church for allowing me to go hang out at a pastor's conference. I get to about once a year, um, and I got to drive all the way over. I had to fill, uh, I apologize for our toll roads for you that are vacationing, <laughs> but it's still the fastest way. Stay off of I-4. It is the devil's highway. I just, I just want you to know it's horrible and, and everything, but I had to refill my little toll card like three times this week because I had to go all the way across Orlando, but it was great just being refreshed and, and, and being able to sit there and, and hear from other pastors and, and just have that time, and so I'm excited about being here this morning. Um, I'm a little pumped up, and so it's really good that we're no one's on the front lane because that front row, because that may be the spit zone and stuff, because when I get excited, I, I talk even faster um, than I usually do, but I wanted to jump ahead to this idea about who knows your name who knows who you are in this world and what are you known for so if you have your bible turn to acts chapter 19 if you don't have them we have them available if you came on vacation you just left it we have them or you lost yours take one of ours put your name in it keep it if you would rather use an electronic device we have wi-fi here it's on there gbc guest um, just type in find more that's all lower caps not upper caps i don't know why i did that um, but you can log in there but for me, for always, um, if you've been at this church for any amount of time, you understand and you know my heart is that these are the only words that matter. These are the only words that make any sense, can do anything to change a life. It's the only reason I get to stand up here every Sunday and preach. It's the only reason we can be a church. It's these words that are the most important words. And we will always stand on them. We will always trust in them and we will always preach them 
uh, as they are written. And so out of respect and out of acknowledgement for the story, I'm just asking if you'll stand with me as we open up in Acts 19, <coughs> starting at verse 11. Luke writes this. He says, God was performing extraordinary miracles by Paul's hands so that even face cloths or aprons that had touched his skin were brought to the sick and the diseases left them and the evil spirits came out of them. Now, some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists who attempted to pronounce the name of Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I command you by Jesus that Paul preaches. Seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish high priest, were doing this. The evil spirit answered them, I know Jesus, and I recognize Paul, but who are you? Then the man who had the evil spirit jumped on them, overpowered them all, and prevailed against them, so that they ran out of that house naked and wounded. And when this became known to everyone who lived in Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks, they became afraid. And the name of the Lord Jesus was held in high esteem. Will you pray with me? God, I just thank you for this morning. Father, even right at this moment, I don't know exactly everything that I'm supposed to say. And so, God, I pray simply that these are not my words, they're yours. Lord Jesus, may we hold your name in high esteem. May it be lifted up today. God, may you take these words, may you take this time. God, and would you meet us right where we're at, God? Would you change hearts? Would you make us different because we were in your presence today? God, would we leave changed? God, and may everyone know that it's you that did it. Not some songs, not some videos, not a, not a message or a sermon. But God, it's because you are the one that changes lives. And so God, we give you this time. We ask that you would move in power. God, that you would just do an amazing work, Father, that only you could get credit for. That we would be challenged, that we would be encouraged. And again, God, that we would be changed. Lord Jesus, send a fire. Just as you did in Pentecost, God, send the fire once again. Bring revival. Bring, bring your power. And may you get all the glory. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So as I said, last week we, we took time and we talked a little about Athens. It's one of my favorite passages of Scripture when Paul's in Athens talking to him. Like, I can see your religious people um, and you even have a statue to the unknown God. Let me tell you who that is. And, and I love that because I believe our culture today mirrors that. That we are in Athens once again. That we have people that are seeking hope, seeking purpose in everything else other than Jesus, other than God. And we get a chance to speak into their lives and to show them exactly who Jesus is and everything. And so between that and now 19, Paul is traveling and he's starting churches and, and we're seeing all this stuff. And then we all of a sudden we get to 19 and it takes a little break. And so this morning, what I really want to focus on is the idea of what, you know, who, who knows you? What, what's in a name? What's so important about a name? You know, Shakespeare and Romeo and Juliet said a rose by any other name would still smell as sweet. And, and I think we've gotten the idea that a name just means it's a title. It's something I have and stuff. And, and I think we throw around the term Christian as just a name or as a title. But you need to understand the history of names and how they came from. They actually meant something at some point. 
Your name told everybody who you were, what you were about, what you did for a living, and it explained a lot and stuff. And so your name, like I looked up my name, Heavener, it means potter. Somewhere in Germany, apparently back in my ancestorage, we made plates. That was not passed on to me because I'm very unartistic. I just want, want you to know. But, but it meant something. It was like whoever this person was, it was, I think in Germany it was Hafner and everything. It was like, you're a potter. That's, 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 that's the potter. You made this and stuff. And so the name meant a lot. And, and for us today, I, I don't think we, we understand this idea that we take our names or we take our titles. And, and that, that's all it is. You know, we, I, I go to this church. You know, I, I'm a part of this denomination, or, or, or I do this and stuff, but it's, it's just a title to us. See, I, my heart breaks, and I think God's heart breaks, that Christianity has become something that I just wear as a t-shirt. Or it's a radio station I listen to, or it's a cross around my neck, and it's supposed to be, and it always was meant to be, so much more. No wonder the world looks at the church and says, I don't need to go there anymore. I mean, for those of us that are older and remember, there was a day that the church was the center of everything. There was a day that, you know, people didn't make plans unless they went and checked with the local church. That's where you had the town meeting. If there was an issue or a crisis in town, everybody showed up at the church and we figured out how to do it. And it was the center of everything. You went to church because, man, that's where you made contacts to. If you were in church, there were more insurance salesmen and doctors and lawyers in the church than ever, ever before. Now, I don't know if it's a bad thing that they're not there anymore, but we miss them. But that's where you came. That's where you were known and, and, and everything. And so that, that's what happened. And all of a sudden, we've gotten into a culture that's really post-Christian. That says it's not so important to go to church. What's the point of church? And, and I think we're the ones that can answer that question if we're living the right way. So I'm going to ask you again, and I want you to keep thinking about it. Who knows your name? Who knows what you're about in this world? If, if, when we look in this passage, you, you look at it. Um, Paul. Everyone knew who Paul was. And it wasn't because Paul was like some, some extraordinary person. And it was, but it was because things extraordinary were happening through him that God was using him. His power was flowing through him. In fact, look at verse 11 again. It says, God was performing extraordinary miracles by Paul's hands. It was God doing so that even the face cloths or aprons that had touched his skin were brought to the sick and the diseases left him. The evil spirits came out of him. I mean, just the things that Paul touched, he was so full of God's spirit, God's power, God's presence in his life that he just passed by and people were like, oh, I'm healed. I mean, it, it was amazing what was going on. And I think we look at people like that today and we see people like, you know, you know, Billy Graham and just like, man, we'll never have another Billy Graham or 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 a Spurgeon or a D.L. Moody or someone like, well, we'll never have a person like that again. They were so awesome. They were so powerful. They were they were so anointed. But can I tell you something this morning? There's no difference from Paul than you and me. There's nothing special about Paul. Other than. He obeyed. And he let God live through him. So I think it's hilarious to me that some people knew about Paul. They're like, wow, he's getting a lot of popularity. He's getting a lot of power. Listen, he's doing amazing things. So, so man, we, we, we want to do stuff like that. And so it's like other people wanted to get on the goods. 
Every you know, say, uh, you know we, we planted this church three years ago, and I got a chance to talk to a lot of people at churches. And, and one thing about conferences, they always ask the people come up, like, we started with like five people, the church burned down. We are now 10,000, and you're sitting there going, wow, that's awesome. <laughs> and we love those people. We love celebrities, and we love, let's put, put them up and everything. And, and we want to get in on that. We, we, we go to conferences, or we go to things, and it's like, okay, what's the magic pill? You know? What, what's that thing that's going to push me over and make me the Christian that I show? What's the magic pill? What's that? And the truth is, there's really no magic pill. It's just us being obedient. It's us being known by our creator and living for him. Th- there's nothing different between us and a Billy Graham or a Paul or a Peter or a David. All these people that we read in scripture, man, they struggled. They had issues. They, they fell. They, they had tempers. They had all, all kinds of things going on in their life. And so in this story, when we're looking at it, there's others sitting at Paul and saying, man, I want to get on, in on this. So look at verse 13. It says, now, there was, now some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists also attempted to pronounce the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I command you by Jesus that Paul preaches. The, what, what's interesting in this whole area, and they're in Ephesus, is there was a lot of kind of like the snake oil charmers around there. Ephesus was a center of kind of religion and, and, and thought. There was all kinds of different cults there. There's all kinds of different things. And so there's a lot of people, you know, that pull up their cart and says, hey, I can help you. I can, I can do this. <coughs> Here's the latest trend. Here's the latest thing. Try this. And so a lot of the old snake oil charmers were there. And so these guys who sit sitting there going like, hey, Paul's saying Jesus. So we're going to say it because that's got to be the magic pill. That's all I got to do is say and act. Like I know who he is. It says the seven sons of Sceva, Jewish high priest, were doing this. But 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 here's the problem. It's one thing knowing someone, it's another thing being known by someone. And one of my favorite passages in scripture is this. Verse 15, the evil spirit answered them. Here are the guys who are just yelling, in the name of Jesus, the guy Paul preaches, you know, that, that Jewish guy from Nazareth, man, we got control, we got power. And I love that the evil spirit answered him says, I know Jesus, and I recognize Paul, but who are you? <laughs> who, who are you? Verse 16, then the man who had the evil spirit jumped on them, overpowered them all, and prevailed against them, so they ran out the house naked and wounded. I think so many of us walk into faith or walk into life saying, as long as I just know about something, then that's good enough. As long as I just, you know, I can say the right things, I can do the right things, I can sing songs, I can go to church, I can do all that stuff, I can be a good person, I can do all that stuff. As long as I know the right things and that that's good enough. But the problem is, is they may know it, but they're not known by it. And because of that, this evil spirit beat the snot out of them and they ran out naked. And when, th- when this became known in verse 17, ever to everyone who lived in Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks, they became afraid, and the name of the Lord Jesus was held in high esteem. Can I ask you, when's the last time you heard the name of Jesus held in high esteem and not as a cuss word? Do you know of any other name? I mean, how would you feel if your name was a cuss word? Oh, Tony. Whoa. You know. 
We, we've taken the esteem off Jesus' name. We, we've taken the power off that name, and, and we keep going through the motions. And so what's in a name is everything that's in a name. And what name you're identified is what's going to identify you. We live in a world that says, where's hope? Where's, where's purpose? Where's meaning? Where's, where's peace? Where's all those things you talk about? Because I don't see it in you. It's because we know it, but we're not known by it. See, I, I think we can change in this. I, I think our churches and our cities and our neighborhoods are full of people, of good intentions, of people that say, this is what I know and this is what I do and, and everything. And, and okay, it's a t-shirt, it's a title, I'm a good person and all this stuff, but we're not really known. And I think down deep, the greatest desire of our heart is to be truly known. To be truly known by somebody. And the only way we get to do that and be that is when we become who we were always supposed to be. The only way that you and I are truly, truly known is when we actually are who we're supposed to be. And the only way we do that is when we come and we recognize our need for Jesus in our life. See, outside of that, we're like everybody else. We're just a little fish in a big pond looking like all the other fish. And we're all going in the same direction. We're all going. And so, so it's, not, it's not enough just to say, well, I know, I know about Jesus. I know this and everything. That we want to be truly known, we have to look at Jesus and say, this is what I'm missing. See, because I believe all my heart, God created us to be perfect. God created us to be totally unique. And the only way we get to live out that uniqueness is when we live for him and we know him and we're known by him. That, that's the difference. And so we can go from being unknown from some evil spirit or some person going, I know this person, I know that person, but who are you? We can go to being known. The problem is, is we have a miscued and, and, and a kind of changed and demented idea of what it means to be a follower of Christ. What it means to be a Christian. And a lot of us in this culture today says, I'm a good person. I'm a good person. I don't do bad things. I don't steal, you know, I don't, I don't go around shooting people, I don't, I don't set things on fire. I'm a good person. My good is going to outweigh my bad. At least that's what I hope. It's a great thought. By the way, every other belief system on this planet is based on that thought. If I can be good enough, it will outweigh my bad. And then I'll get to heaven and everything will be good. But there's a problem, there's a flaw in that. See, none of us can be good enough. So what Paul writes back in Romans, as it's written, there is no one righteous, not even one. None of us are right before God on our own. None of us can be good enough. Our good will never outweigh our bad because God's standard has always been perfection. He created us to be perfect, and he still expects us to be perfect. The problem is, is we can't do that on our own. We believe that we can. If I'm just good enough, if I'm just good enough, and I'm a good person, I don't do anything wrong. Can I ask you? And you don't, don't raise your hands. Has anybody ever lied? You're a liar. <laughs> Even if you've done it once, you're a liar. Has anybody thought something against, I mean, Jesus took the commandments even farther. It's like, man, if you hate somebody, then you're a murderer. If you look at somebody and you lust, then you're an adulterer. You're he's take, he took it even a step farther that it's about heart. And so we can't be good enough. Some of you are like, wow, we chose the wrong church to be to this morning. 
But I just, I, I want you to understand that because there's good news tied to that. We can't be good enough, but there is someone that was and is and still is good enough. And so if you're living your life based on I'm just going to be a good person, it's never going to be enough. I always talk to my friends, and I have lots of friends from all different religions. And, you know, I remember one time I was a youth pastor at a church, and we would do this, like, monthly concert where we would just let bands in. And my only rule is, like, you cannot say anything negative or anything vulgar on my stage, on our platform. But you can come. And we had hundreds of kids just show up that wouldn't go anywhere else, and they would show up. And I'd sit around and talk to them, and I'd videotape them and ask them questions. And I remember one girl, she's like, I'm a Buddhist. I'm like, congratulations. <laughs> That's awesome. How's that working for you? Well, I'm hoping to be good enough. I'm like, when do you know? She's like, well, well, I don't. I'm like, well, I have some good news for you then. You don't have to be good enough because there's someone that already is. And so, and so we sit there and we go, I'm a good person and we'll, we'll never be good. But, but what about this one? But I go to church. I, I go to church. Doesn't that count? That's awesome. Welcome. We're glad you're here. Going to church is not what changes your life. Jesus is what changes your life. We've made a culture that says, in the Western culture, it says all you got to do is go to church. All you got to do is show up and, and be that person and go to church, and, and you're good enough. I, I hate to tell you this. I'm full of bad news this morning, but listen, Matthew 7, 22 and 23, Jesus said, he says, On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name, drive out demons in your name, and do many miracles in your name? Then I will announce to them, I never knew you. Depart from me. Church membership. Tithing, all those things, is not the thing that changes our lives. It is Jesus and Jesus alone. Being a part of a church is being obedient to that and, and being in that community and growing and God created that. But it's not what changes us. It's not just because I'm on some roll somewhere doesn't make me better off than anybody else. We have churches full of people that are convinced that like, hey, I go church i give money i work in this ministry i do that stuff and they don't know jesus and they're going to stand to him and say but god jesus didn't i do this man i led children's ministry name i did youth ministry i went on mission trips oh my gosh i went to like ecuador and lived in dirt for like a week and a half it was horrible and i struggled and i suffered for you and then he's going to say but i don't know you see to be known you, you, you got to know. See, it's not about what you do. It's who you know. It's not about how good you are or how, <coughs> how generous you are or how nice you are or any of that stuff. It's about who you know. And the fact is, is there's only one in all of history, in all of creation, in all of the world. There's only one. That was good enough. That's why the Bible says when I was still in sin, while I was still an enemy of God, Christ died for me. He who knew no sin became sin that I would become the righteousness of God, Scripture says. I am saved by grace, not by works, not by anything else. It is if I truly want to be known. If I truly want to see something different in my life that makes impact, that that reaches far beyond my life, then I have to know who it is that changes my life. And that is Jesus, and it is only Jesus. And we got to stop playing the game like I'm just, I'm going to be a good person. Because it's not good enough. That's why Paul says in Romans 10, 
9 and 10, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. One believes with the heart resulting in righteousness and one confesses with the mouth resulting in salvation. It's not something that it's just a feel-good thing. It's not some, I walk down an aisle and I pray a prayer. It's about changing everything and saying, God, I can't do it my way anymore. I've done it my way and it doesn't work. I have to do it your way. And that's Jesus. That's why Jesus said, I am the truth, the life. I am the way. It is only through him. And it should look different for us. It, it should look different because I think many of us know this. My pastor, I've heard this before. I've heard, yeah, you know, pray the prayer. I, I say, now, Jesus, I'm a sinner, and forgive me, and okay, come into my life. Okay, that's it. And, and we think that's where it ends. One of the greatest tragedies I think we've done in, in, in church and, and everything is we've made evangelism and discipleship two separate things. We've made an evangelism some event that we do where we call people to repentance and we make discipleship some class you go to later. Do you understand that Jesus said when he gave us the Great Commission, he said, go and make disciples, that it's both of us. It's about us transforming our lives and coming to him and saying, I need you because I can't fix my problems. I can't change myself. I can't change my heart. And then it's us becoming more like him as we go. Somewhere along the line, we've lost the idea that our our faith continues on past the moment of some prayer we said. And so because of that, we have so many people sitting in there says, I know all this. I know this. I know about Jesus. I know this. And it's all in here, but it's never transformed to here to our hearts. You know, I had an old pastor all the time. He says, most people are going to miss heaven by like eight inches. It's a distance between your brain and your heart. Because we know all this. I I know that, yeah, I pray and I do this and stuff. But there's been no life change. And so there's no evidence for it. And all through scripture, and I've struggled with this. And I'm I'm like, God, well, maybe some people just pray. But all through scripture says you'll be known by your fruit. There'll be something different about you. And so we have to go from just knowing it to actually being it. So how do we do that? I think the very first thing is we got to have a change of direction. That's what we're called for in the Bible. There's got to be a total and complete change of direction. So many of us spend some time and we say, well, just forgive me, forgive me, forgive me. But then we go back and we know change. The Bible calls us to ask for forgiveness. But then the Bible right after says it calls for forgiveness and repentance. Do you understand what repent means? It means I'm going this way. And I'm doing whatever I want, and I turn and say, no more. It's 180 degrees. I'm going to go in the opposite direction. I'm going to stop doing what I was doing before. I'm going to change the direction of my life. Paul even says, he says, he says later on in Scripture, he says, if grace abounds, does that mean we sin more? And unfortunately, I think there's so many people filling our churches that say, hey, all i got to do is just come down. I'll come on Sunday. I'll ask for forgiveness, and then it's good. And the next Sunday, I'll do the same. Let me ask you a question. I mean, you don't have to answer this. If someone just totally just does you wrong, and you go and they go to you like, hey, I'm really sorry for that. You're like, okay, I forgive you. And then the very next day, they do the exact same thing over and over again. And they're like, hey, I'm really sorry. Now, as Christians, we're supposed to forgive and let go, but there has to be repentance. There has to be a change of direction. I mean, even Jesus said this. Jesus, who we like love, and we sit there and go like, he was so peaceful, and he was loving, and it was all grace. Look, the woman caught in adultery, which is always funny for me. It's like, how did they catch her in adultery unless they were peeping Tom? So there was a lot more repentance that needed to be happening here. 
And the woman brought and brought in front of the crowd of all these guys with rocks saying she was caught in adultery. The law says to stone her and everything. And Jesus is like, hey, whoever has the whoever hasn't sinned, throw the first stone. <laughs> if you read the story, it's the old people that sit there and go like, oh, no. You know why? Because we've sinned a lot more. We've had a lot more life. <laughs> and, but at the end of it. Jesus stands up and he looks at it and says in John 8, 10, 11, it says, when Jesus stood up, he said to her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, Lord, she answered. Neither do I condemn you, said Jesus. We like to stop there, don't we? Oh, see, Jesus doesn't condemn you. But look what he says to her. He says, go and from now on, do not sin any more. There has to be a change of direction. And for so many of us walking in our churches and living out our life, we're wondering, like, well, there's no power in my faith. There's none. Because I question, have we had a true repentance? Have we said, I'm going to turn away from these things that are not of God and turn to the things that are for God? We've got to change our direction. And once we do that, once God, we allow him and we surrender and we say, all right, God, I'm going your way now. This is going to be hard, but I'm going to trust you. I'm going to put my faith in and in, in everything in you. Then our actions start changing. And, you know, I'm a person. If you've been around me at all, I don't believe in teaching a behavioral gospel. I think we change the heart. God changes the heart and then the behavior comes. But I think there has to be behavioral changes. We have to stop saying I'm a I'm a follower of Jesus and not looking like him. We, we got to stop that. There has to be a change of actions. That's why James says, the brother of Jesus, but be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourselves. It makes absolutely no sense to me to come to church Sunday after Sunday to hear God's word. It doesn't matter what the preacher is and how good or how funny he is, but when you hear God's word and you walk out and there's no difference in your actions, no difference in your attitude. It makes no sense to me. If you're just checking off a list, listen, we got podcast, we got, we got, I'm on Facebook Live right now. You can watch any preacher and just say, okay, I got my sermon, I'm good. But we have to change our actions. Once we repent and we change our direction, then the way we live should be different. Be a doer of the word. Not a hearer only, not just listening, that's a waste of time. But there's a flip side to this. There's a flip side to not only being a doer word, but of not doing what we know God has called us to do. Because later on in James 4.17, he says this, so it is sin to know the good and yet not do it. Can I tell you something? If you know what God has called you to do and you're not doing it, it's still sin. If you're not forgiving, if, if you're not repenting, if, you, if, you, if, you're not, if you're not living love and grace, if you're not sharing the gospel, if you're not being obedient, and you know that you're supposed to, it's still sin. See, we think sin is all the bad things we do. Sin is also all the good things we don't do. There has to be a change of action. If we want the world to see who Jesus is, if we want this community to be transformed by the power of God, they has to see it in the way we live outside these walls. It is easy to come in here and sing some songs, raise your hands, and live because we're all in that environment. It's easy to go on a mission trip with a bunch of other Christians and feel the closeness of God and to serve him. It is easy to go to some camp and, and live that way and say, oh, I did all this stuff. It is hard to do it out there, but it's not impossible. That's why Jesus said, for men, it's things are impossible with god all things are possible i can do all things through christ who strengthens me paul says we can live what we live in here we can worship the way we worship in here we can live and sing and praise and pray like we do in here out there and we cannot only we can't 
not only can do it, we must do it. We have to live. We have to change our directions and we have to change our actions. And when we do that and when we allow God to kind of step in and start dealing with our hearts and changing and pointing out things, then we can change our priorities. Can I ask you this, something this morning? What comes first in your life? There are so many good things in this planet. There's family. There are friends. There's jobs. There, there are all those things, and those are good things. But can I ask you, what comes first? See, I, I, I believe this, and I, I know this sounds harsh and everything. I believe that God is not like some sadistic football coach just yelling at you saying, I want 110%. I had a coach like that. He said, I want 110%. And me being the smart aleck I was when I was in high school saying, God, that, sir, that's mathematically impossible. All I have is 100%. And then he made me run until I threw up. <laughs> but I don't think God sits there and goes, I want 110%. I think God says, I want it all. And I will not accept anything less. See, I think we need to get back to a faith that's all or nothing. I think that's what Jesus was talking about in, in Revelation where he says, man, I wish you were hot or cold. You're neither. I, I wish you were hot or cold. I wish you were one or the other, but you're lukewarm. Because you're lukewarm, you you're making me physically sick is what he says. How on earth do we change the world as lukewarm? Have you ever had lukewarm water? It's nasty. Hot water makes great English tea. Makes great coffee. For some of you that are like Starbucks people, you can do iced coffee. Yeah, cold water works too. That's just, that's just wrong to me. Just <laughs> it's just not natural. But we got to change our priorities. We, we have to say, listen, listen to what Jesus says in Luke 9. His words, not mine. Luke 9, 23, 24. He says, then he said to them all, if anyone wants to follow after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. Whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life because of me will save it. If anyone wants to follow me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily. Do you understand how offensive that was to a Jewish audience? To the people he was talking to, take up your cross. These are people that walked into their town in Jerusalem and on a daily basis saw people that were hung on crosses by the Romans because they did something wrong or they thought they did something wrong or it was just a statement of power. And they saw these instruments of death every single day of their lives. And Jesus says, take up your cross. It would be like me sitting here today. He says, listen, I want you to go out and buy an electric chair and carry it around. It is the same thing. It was offensive. It was, it was harsh. It was hard. But what he's saying is you have to die to yourself. You have to give up I want. I want, I want, I want. It, ha it cannot be about you anymore. It has to be total and complete surrender. Die to self, live for Christ. It's the only way that you and I will ever be known. It's the only way that you and I will ever make an eternal impact. It's the only way that we'll make a difference in this world that's falling apart. We have to die to self. And it should be evident. If you claim Jesus today, there should be a physical representation of a difference in your life, in the way that you live. And as I'm preaching to me too. 
It should bother you about the things that bother God. It should break your heart about the things that break God's heart. It should change the way you look at your job and your family and everything and your priorities. Everyone look around and look at an empty seat. You see the empty seats in here? Can I tell you something? Each one of those chairs represents a family or a person that Christ died for, and they're not here. If that doesn't break your heart this morning, then you and I need to talk about the Jesus you know and the Jesus I know. Because there should be a difference the way we see everything and do everything because Jesus came into our lives. We got to stop playing church and we got to start being the church. That's what we're called to do. And it is a daily sacrifice, guys. It is a daily thing that we get up and, and deal with this. That's what Paul said in Romans. He says, therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of God, uh, the mercies of God, I urge you, I beg you, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. It doesn't say, I urge you to show up to church on Sunday morning on time, which I appreciate when you do. I urge you to go to potluck. I urge you to show up to prayer meeting. I urge you, it says, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, to sacrifice, to surrender everything. And that is what worship is. And that can be done and must be done outside these walls every single day. That's what we're called to do. So I'm going to ask you again, as we're kind of wrapping this up, who's going to know your name? In your community, in your job, in your world, who's going to know your name? And why are they going to know it? I want the demons of hell to shudder because this church is here and saying, oh, we don't like them. And I know we're asking for problems. We're asking for trials. We're asking for tribulation. We're asking for things to come against them. Bring it. Because I want them to be afraid. I think, I think our enemy, Satan, is terrified of a church that says we're going to live for Jesus no matter what it costs. Because Jesus told us, he says, upon the profession of faith, on believing that Jesus is who he said he is and that he does what he said he does and that he continues to move through us on that profession, on that belief, on that stance that not even the gates of hell will prevail against us. Church, we need to start being the church. And so if there is sin, if there is things that we need to deal with, we need to deal with them. We need to get them out in the open. We need to let them go. We need to reset our priorities. We need to change our direction. We need to start living like Jesus actually lives within us. I love that Francis Chan always said, he's like, I don't understand this. So many people claim to be followers of Jesus, and yet so few of them look like him. So many people claim to be a disciple, to follow their rabbi. And the goal of having a rabbi and being disciples is to look exactly like my rabbi. That's why Peter got out of the boat. He saw his rabbi walking on water, and he said, I can do that too, because my rabbi's doing it. I know we, we, we pick on him and say, but he sank, he fell, he, he didn't do it right, he did it. Can I tell you, there's only two people in history who walked on water, Jesus and Peter. There were 11 others that never even got out of the boat. Church, I'm saying it's time for us to get out of the boat. Sink or swim, we need to get out of the boat. And if we start sinking, if we start struggling, if we start falling, then there's a Jesus that sits there right away. And all we have to say is, Lord, save me. And he's right there and says, why didn't you have faith? I'm here. We need to start looking like the one we claim. We need to stop saying, I've got to be good enough or, or, or I just go to church and making all these other excuses when it is all about Jesus coming into our lives and transforming us. It is all about saying, God, send your fire once again upon your church. Pentecost ain't over. 
We're just not paying attention to it anymore. Send your fire. Because if we don't, we cheapen grace. And can I tell you something? Stop cheapening grace. It costs too much. It costs too much. I love Dietrich Bonhoeffer, one of my heroes of faith, the, the pastor from World War II that ended up being a martyr. Says this, he says, cheap grace is the preaching of forgiveness without requiring repentance. Baptism without discipline. Communion without confession. Absolution without personal confession. Cheap grace is grace without discipleship. Grace without the cross. Grace without Jesus Christ. We love grace. We love the love, but we understand we also serve a holy and just and righteous God. And that has to be in us too. So you can't sit here this morning and say amen and then go be mad at everybody else and talk bad about them. You can't sit here and say amen and like, wow, I agree with that and not tell anybody about the gospel outside of these walls. You, you can't sit here and say, I follow Jesus, and then you put every other priority in front of them. You, you can't do that because that's not what we're called to do. We are called to continue this never-ending story by being transformed by that grace, by going in a new direction, by having a new attitude, by having a new purpose, and then living it outside these walls. We cannot be the church in here if we're not the church out there. There are so many churches that are in decline today because we have made it all about us and not about him. There's a world waiting for a church to stand up for a group of people to say, this is what Jesus looks like. Even if it's offensive to you, this is what he looks like. And this is how we're called to live. And we're going to love you through it. And we're going to lead you through it. But we're not going to compromise on it anymore. That's what we're called to do. Who's going to know your name? Who's going to know what you're like? Because of what Jesus has done in you. I don't want to end my life just saying, and I thought about this this week. I don't want to end my life with people just going, you know, he was just a nice guy. He was a very peacemaker. He never bothered or messed with anybody. He was always just so calm. Listen, I want to step on toes. I, I want to do whatever it takes for people to see their need for Jesus and to see those lives change. No matter what it costs me. Because in the end, there's only one praise worth having. Well done, my good and faithful servant. And the only way we get that is we do it his way, not our way anymore. Let's pray.